This morning we will be in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. You find our passage on page 871 in the Pew Bible. Uh, And I will bring the text up on the screen. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So in 1977, a woman named Sandra West, who was the wife of a deceased oil magnate, was buried next to her husband. Now that wasn't remarkable, a wife being buried next to her husband, but what was remarkable was the way that she was buried next to her husband. She was buried sitting behind her her powder blue Ferrari, as stipulated in her will. And this was a whole mess, okay? They had to, you know, fit her up, you know, but with the mortician, put her behind the wheel of the Ferrari and then put the Ferrari into a cement box, and then bury the cement box. And uh, and you can act, and they had to use a crane to do it. Okay. Uh, and uh, and now she also uh, beyond that she left behind a stamp collection and a jewelry collection, each collection with an estimated value of over a half a million dollars. Two more Ferraris on top of the one she was buried with. And even two diamond rings uh, ranging in just five carats and seven. More than 300 people were in attendance of her funeral, yet none of them were family or friends or even clergy. They were all reporters and spectators there to observe the spectacle of this very odd burial that had come about through a prescription drug overdose. The cemetery actually remains a feature in local tours of San Antonio. So if you're ever there, you can go take a tour and that'll be a stop on one of the tours. Now, anyone can hear about this funeral and note how odd and sad it is. But there's also a part of us that goes, did you say that Ferrari was powder blue? That that must have been nice. It's been a nice Ferrari. There's just this fallen aspect in our hearts that desires to seek comfort and security in earthly goods. Even in time where inflation is high, greed presents a real threat 
to the life of the church. Jesus here is addressing, in this whole section, threats to discipleship. And he has been dealing so far with oppression and persecution that will be certain to come upon his disciples after he is gone from the earth. But he switches topics here, which through what seems to be an odd request, which is inheritance arbitration. Um, and, but as, we'll, as we, we, we look at this passage today, we're going to see, for, we're gonna take a look at first the dispute that Jesus addresses and the one that he doesn't. But the, and then secondly, we're going to look at the parable that he gives that warns us of being rich in the world, but impoverished towards God. So first, let's look at the dispute that Christ resolves and the one that he doesn't. And so the problem is presented to us in verse 13. Uh, and this unspecified man in the crowd just says, you know, literally says just somebody. Um, uh, he, he comes and he demands that Jesus resolve a dispute about an inheritance uh, with his brother. Now, this wasn't unusual. Jews would often go to their rabbis and ask them to weigh in on these types of issues. So rabbis were known to arbitrate both spiritual and civil issues. And these kinds of disputes were very common, not just with the Jews, but also with the Gentiles. These kinds of issues and disputes and even lawsuits over over inheritances, I mean, that's common today, right? This is an age-old problem. Uh, and so, uh, and so, we're not given any details of what uh, it, this involves, other than it's two brothers and an inheritance. Uh, so, you know, now in that day and age, when the father uh, died, the oldest son would get a double portion of the inheritance. Now, this was not just some weirdo law, because the, uh, usually the inheritance uh, was land. That was the biggest and the most important thing you could have. And, uh, and we've all seen this, what happens is, if you, um, is that over time, let's say you take a big tract of land that's owned by, a, uh, by a, you know, the patriarch and the family, well, then over the years, that inheritance can become diluted, right? As it gets passed down, it gets broken up and split, and some people sell off and some people don't and stuff. And so the whole idea of giving the eldest son a double share was to guarantee uh, um, at least that there was a good chunk uh, that would remain with the family. And so that was the idea behind this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, oh, oh, this, what we would call an archaic uh, inheritance um, uh, program called uh, primogeniture. Uh, and so the question here is, you know, is the oldest brother hanging out, uh, you know, holding out on the youngest brother? Because that would be the most likely scenario here. But again, we just don't know. We're just, uh, we're just speculating, really. Uh, now, what is clear, though, is that this man, whatever the situation is, he would like to use Jesus. He would like to get Jesus on his side to win his dispute. But, it, but as Jesus shows us, this dispute that this guy has with his brother is not his biggest problem. This man's main problem is that covetousness has gripped his heart. Now, we will, you will find no shortage of people, even in the church, who would much rather use Jesus and get him on their side to win a dispute they would rather use Jesus than be searched and known by Jesus. If we can just get Jesus on our side, then we could resolve all our worldly desires and comforts. That very premise is at the heart of the false prosperity gospel. 
that if you just, just give money to your apostle and do follow whatever weird rules we have for you, then you'll have Jesus on your side and he'll give you whatever you want. But as Jesus so often does, he just takes it right to the heart of the issue in verses 14 to 15. He outright rejects the man's request and says, you know, uh, uh, you know why, why should I do this? You know, and who made me arbiter over you? Now, some have argued that Jesus says this because he has not been formally ordained as a rabbi. Uh, others argue that uh, Jesus does, says this because, uh, you know, doing inheritance arbitration is, rabbis may do that, but that's not part of Jesus's mission. Now, Either of those could be true. Both of those could be true. I honestly can't really be confident about to say which one it is. But at the very least, I do know that Jesus rejects his request because he wants to deal with this man's heart. And he wants to use it as an opportunity to warn others that are in earshot. And so he warns everybody. Take care. Be on alert. Pay attention. Be on guard. Because there is something that is a threat to you that is evidenced by this own man's heart here. And that is covetousness. Now, covetousness is, uh, is the desire to have more than you at your actually do. And, and covetousness doesn't simply uh, come in a single form. Uh, it, it comes in all kinds of uh, ways and, and forms and disguises. In this case, covetousness appears uh, within a dispute about an inheritance. The pastor scholar Deroff Davis wrote that covetousness lies in ambush behind a whole plethora of legitimate concerns. Right? We can have a real concern, there can be a real need, there can be a real issue there, but the actual heart motivation behind it is greed, covetousness. And we are, very, uh, we are, we are natural experts at justifying our own sin, aren't we? Very good at that. The desire for worldly gain has a silver tongue and our flesh is all ears. I mean, don't, don't you naturally love to hear about what you deserve, right? Don't you, don't you like to hear about what's rightfully yours? Pay attention to commercials. They're all about telling you what you deserve, what's rightfully yours, and that their product will give you finally what you need, right? But Jesus is really quick to, to expose the reality of covetousness here. Because why should we watch out for covetousness? What, what is it about covetousness or greed that is so dangerous to the church? Why is it in, you know, the top ten commandments? Like, it may be last, but it's there, number ten, right? Well, Jesus says we need to watch out for covetousness because your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. Now, don't blow past that because this is huge. Because what he's saying there is that covetousness, that greed, it's not just a bad thing to do. Covetousness actually sells an entire definition of life. Your life is your stuff. And if you can get enough of the right stuff, then you will have a full and happy life. And that means that anyone getting in the way of you getting your stuff, whatever that is, 
then they are getting in the way of you fulfilling your life's purpose. And that means they are an obstacle at best or an enemy at worst, even if they're your brother. Jesus looks right in the heart of this man. And he sees that what may be behind, what, what may, you know, what, what is behind this maybe apparently le- totally legitimate beef with his older brother, at his heart, he has bought the lie that stuff is all he really needs. And this made me wonder how many of my own frustrations really have covetousness in the background, really have greed in the heart of them. And what a painful, humiliating, and graciously good privilege for this man to have the Savior look into his eyes, look into his very soul, and reveal what's really there. And this invites us to ask Jesus to do the same. To ask Jesus to reveal in our own hearts all the different ways of covetousness that are before our eyes in the temptations and the places where we have already bought in and bought the lie and rationalized it. And then to make it clear, Jesus issues a parable of warning against covetousness in verses 16 to 21, and he tells the story that we like to call the parable of the rich fool. Jesus tells this very brief and simple story about a wealthy man whose land produced a crop like never before. Now, a man who owned land that he didn't have to work, I mean, we like to talk about the 1%, you know, it's almost like a cliche now. This guy would be a fraction of the 1% in that day and age, okay? This is, this is the super wealthy here. And, and, but note that his gain came honestly. There's not a word in here that it came through fraud or theft or anything like that. His, his, he just had a, he had a bumper crop like that comes only once in a generation, maybe. And so he's presented with a great problem. It's great, but it's a problem, which is he has more crops than he can possibly store. So what's a guy to do? And he determines a plan. Tear down his existing barns and build bigger buildings. Build more of them. Enough to contain this grand harvest in all his possessions. And he says once he does this, he's going to be set for life. Right? He even assures himself internally with that little conversation to his own soul. And he, that, you know, he just that little encouragement. But then something happens that he didn't consider. God comes to him and calls him a fool informs him that all his plans are for nothing because this night he is summoned to meet his creator. And all his plans have now gone up in smoke and all that he has gained will go to someone else. And Jesus concludes this story by saying that this is the fate of those who only store up treasure for themselves upon the earth but are not rich towards God. That's a quick you know, little summary and, uh, of the story here, but let's jump into the meaning. Uh, because some have argued that this parable is a condemnation of having too much wealth. 
Others have argued that this is a warning to ensure generosity on the part of the wealthy, saying if you get a bunch, you better, you better give or else God will get you kind of thing. Um, it, in, in truth, it's, it's neither of those things. Um, because while the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil to be sure, I mean, the, the Bible says that explicitly, the possession of wealth is not condemned anywhere in the Bible. Uh, further, a lack of generosity is a sin, according to the Scriptures. It does say that, you know, that the refusal to be generous, even, even giving, but, uh, but giving with an ungenerous heart is of no advantage. I mean, there's a lot, the Bible has a lot to say. The New Testament, Jesus, uh, the apostles have a lot to say about these things. But, this, but generosity is not the subject of this parable. That is not the point here. We've got to go back to that definition of covetousness. The lie that covetousness tells, the definition, the false definition of life it gives. Your life is, is defined by the abundance of your possessions. Your, your life is your stuff. And here is a story of a moment in a guy's life where he got everything he wanted and beyond. He hit the lottery, as it were. And what is revealed is the man's covetous heart. His view of life was self-centered and self-indulgent. When he starts talking, that repetition of just me and I, and the only other person he talks to is his own soul, highlights this point. He never prays. He never consults with God. He simply consults his own soul as if he is God himself. Like Nebuchadnezzar before him who went out onto his parapet and viewed, the, viewed his kingdom and said, Have I not done this? Am I not awesome? Before God brings him low. One, uh, one author wrote that the greed of gain is nothing less than the, than the deification of self. And if our minds are set on hoarding wealth, We are being idolatrous. This man in the parable doesn't view his possessions as blessings from God, his creator, uh, or his redeemer. He believes his possessions are there merely to serve him. And he arrogantly assumes the abundance of them means he has a long time to enjoy them. He equates his time on the earth by how much stuff he has. And so his security... Is only in what he has on the earth. If we are covetous, if we define our lives merely by the calculation of earthly goods, then when we die, we lose everything. Because even if we can be buried in our Ferrari, we don't get to take it with us. And so the, the moral of the story here is, be careful how you define your life. If we define our lives by the quality or quantity of our possessions, then that is going to define how we live and how we act. Now, Jesus has yet to describe positively of what our life is supposed to be about. He's going to get into that in this chapter. But he is very clear about what it must not be. The Christian life does not be about just acquiring more things. 
yet this is often what we struggle with. The Puritan Thomas Watson said that most men pray for full purses, full wallets, than for pure hearts. Do we truly agree with Paul when he says that we will be content with only food and clothing? You read that line, you go, yep, moving on. Like, yep, 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 yep. I'd like a few more things than that, thank you. All right. According to our economists that I've read recently, our country is in the early stages of a recession. We have 10% inflation. I just read this morning that, that they're expecting that inflation to remain high well into the fall. And there is real hardship and real anxiety as people's incomes are being eaten up. I got six kids. Feeding those kids has gotten more expensive, all right? And I don't know if you see my van. It is not fuel efficient, all right? I drove a compact, I borrowed a compact, somebody's compact car the other day and drove it. I was like, this is amazing. I was like, you can get 30, gall- 30 miles to the gallon? This is incredible. So I was like, I haven't known that for many, many years. But as Christians, we must pray that God would enable us to endure these times right now, to help one another out, to care for each other, to navigate these difficult waters without giving in to greed and covetousness. We need to beware of self-righteously condemning inflation and its causes with indignant anger without examining our hearts to see if there is a root of greed and covetousness there. You know, it's like, like I said, I, I've got, you know, I got a high cost bill. I spend more on food than I spend on my mortgage every month. My costs have gone up. But what am I supposed to do? Sit here and just stew in my anger because my disposable income is being eaten up by inflation? I mean, I got to face that dragon, right? I got to face that reality, that hardship, and, you know, the thing going through. But am I, am I supposed to just sit here and be furious and spend my time just shaking my fist at some guy in the White House or a set of policies over here or politicians over there uh, because, you know, because some of my plans are being disrupted? Because we're going to have to tighten our belt for the next six months. Because it's going to get tough. Have I given thanks to my God? Have I taught my children to give thanks to their creator and their redeemer? Who has given us food and clothing and a roof over our heads. Which is far more than a lot of people have in this life. And even more to continue to give thanks and praise and honor no matter what for the redemption, salvation, and citizenship that we have in the kingdom of God. Do we truly believe that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us? This is the stuff he talks about when the stuff gets hard. God calls this man in, the, in, in, in Jesus, and, you know, and God calls the man in this parable a fool, not because... Um, uh, not because he is uh, um, stupid, but because he's godless. Because he is senseless. Because he is selfish. He only thinks about looking out for number one, and that's him. 
There's no room for God. There's no room for others in his heart and his life and his plans. And so let us not keep company with such fools, as Jesus speaks of in the parable. Rather, we need to be suspicious of our own motivations and watch out for all forms of covetousness, as Jesus warns. These forms of covetousness that seek to seduce us, to redefine the Christian life, away from faith and suffering for the name of Christ, relying in in, in, in humility on the strength and power of God to see us through to you know, the, the, you know, wielding whatever economic power and money and whatever secular type of view we, would, we, we, are, we are being enticed to take. We need to address the legitimate needs and hardships uh, that they bring to care for each other, yet do so all the while, counting every advantage as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. As Paul talks about in Philippians 3. We need to meditate upon the infinite riches that we have in the Savior. And whatever wealth we may have or not have in this life, we need to always seek to be rich in God. In Christ, our hope is not in what extravagance we can take to the grave with us, but the extravagant love of God that gives us eternal life and eternal riches in the kingdom to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And Father, we acknowledge that there are some of us in here who are facing real real and true hardships. That there are real difficulties and that they are financial and they create problems for how we may be able to pay for the roof over our head, that we maybe how much food we may be able to bring in, not just the extra accessory luxury comforts. Lord, we pray that we would be generous, loving, sensitive to the needs of those around us. Lord, but we pray that we would take Jesus' warning to heart. That we would watch out, be on the alert, be on guard for all forms of covetousness. Even in the face of legitimate problems and concerns. We pray that you would search us. That you would know us, that you would reveal to us any covetous ways that, are, that have taken root in our hearts. That you would reveal before our eyes paths of, of covetousness that, 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 have, that, have, that have taken root and that lie before us as temptations. And Father, we pray that you would guide us, forgive us, and help us as your people to navigate these waters. That whatever wealth we may have on the earth, that in Christ we may always be rich in God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.